Well, a couple of weeks ago, I began a short series of sermons on the book of Philemon. It comes after the book of Titus and right before the book of Hebrews. Uh, 25 verses. And so today, I will begin at verse 17 and read through the end of the chapter. So, uh, Lord willing, we'll conclude the series on the book of Philemon today. And in verse 17, Paul is, of course, writing to uh, Philemon, a friend of his, and he's also addressed it to his uh, family and to the church that met in his house, and he is interceding for a runaway slave named Onesimus. And so he says in verse 17, If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your holy word. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It is authoritative, but it's also life-giving and powerful. So we pray, Lord, that you might give life through the proclamation of the word today, and that you might work powerfully in each of our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, as I said, this letter was written by Paul uh, to Philemon, to his family, and to the church uh, that worshipped in his house. Philemon was a Christian leader of some sort, whether he was a pastor or not, we don't know. Uh, but it was written, again, on behalf of this man named Onesimus, uh, who left the town of Colossae and went to Rome some many miles away. And there he ran into Paul, the apostle. And you don't just run into Paul, the apostle, without hearing the gospel. And so he heard the gospel and was converted. Uh, he was a converted slave and, and so Paul writes this letter in a very tactful way uh, to urge his friend Philemon to forgive Onesimus uh, for leaving him and probably had robbed him as well, but, and to receive him back as a brother in Christ. And he stops short of directly asking Philemon to give Onesimus his freedom, but surely there are hints of that. Uh, in the letter, and we don't know for certain the outcome, but we know uh, that Paul is encouraging them to be reconciled in Christian love. But in, in this letter, you see there's, there's a contrast between law and grace. And in one sense, law and grace do not contradict each other, but they seem to. And certainly in this case, both the Roman law and Mosaic law uh, from the Old Testament, gave Philemon the right to punish this runaway slave. Uh, he had that right. But 
when Christ comes into the picture, when his grace, through the covenant of grace, uh, through his shed blood, uh, this, you see, is the, is the way that even a master and a slave can be brought together in love in an equal, on an equal basis through the gospel. And so you and I, like Onesimus, we have all broken God's law. We read the Ten Commandments today to remind us uh, that that law stands there. It's unbreakable, but we have broken it by disobedience. And, but God chose to send his son that, uh, so that he would keep the law perfectly on our behalf and then to suffer the punishment that we deserve so that we could be reconciled to God and be accepted. Well, today I want us to just briefly go uh, through these um, last verses of the book of Philemon uh, through five brief points that I want to touch on and then draw some uh, parallels to the life of Christ. But first thing we see in this section is that Paul identifies himself with both Philemon and Onesimus. Uh, He identifies with them in verse 17. If you count me as a partner, Philemon, uh, then receive him as you would me. So, so Paul, the apostle, he considers uh, that Philemon is a partner with him. And the Greek word is koinonos, is similar to koinonia, which we know has to do with our fellowship in Christ. But it means a partner, an associate, uh, a companion. It, it could be anyone that we share something in common with. We would call them a koinonos. And Philemon had been a partner with Paul in the ministry of the gospel because it says earlier in this letter, uh, Paul calls him a fellow laborer as one who shared his faith with others and refreshed the hearts of the saints. So uh, all Christians do share many things in common. Uh, we, we share a common faith in a common Lord. Uh, we share uh, one another's burdens. As the Bible tells us to do, we share a common ministry of pointing others to Christ, sharing our faith in Christ. We have uh, the same job title, each and every one of us. You know what your job title is, right? As a Christian, it's ambassador. You're an ambassador for Christ. And that's what we all are. So Paul identifies himself with Philemon, their partners. But he also identifies himself with Onesimus. And And he said to Philemon, Receive him as you would me. And so, but here's Philemon. He's a master. He owns slaves. And we talked more about slavery last week. won't repeat that this week. But uh, it was the law of the land. Slavery was, was part and parcel of, of, of the Roman Empire. And so uh, he urges him uh, to receive this runaway slave instead of punishing him, to receive him as he would Paul, uh, in the same, very same way, as an equal now in Christ. Uh, I, I'm sure that was not necessarily an easy thing for Philemon to do. Uh, anytime you have been wronged by another person, you've been hurt, uh, your immediate response probably is not one of grace and love, at least if you're like me. And uh, so, so we have to find the grace of God to do that, to open our arms to those who have hurt us and, and to forgive them. But so we, we do that when we identify, especially with other believers. We identify with each other. Uh, and so John now is part of us as a new member. Uh, others 
who have joined uh, are part of us, and others who aren't even members of this church. If you're a Christian, you we have uh, this faith in common, and we are to identify with each other. And uh, but it becomes easier when we remember. You see. Uh, that we were sinners saved only by the grace of God and that when others hurt us remember what Jesus said do unto others as you would have them do to you but secondly in these verses we see Paul offers himself as a surety for Onesimus and uh, we don't use that term so much so what is a surety a surety is someone who uh, takes uh, or becomes legally liable for the debt um, or failure of duty of someone. And this is what Paul is doing in, in verse 18. He says, if he's wronged you, or if he owes you anything, put that on my account. And indeed, uh, Onesimus had stolen from his master. He had left him uh, and run away. And Paul said, put that on my account. And so, uh, in the Old Testament, interestingly, in the book of Proverbs, you find it in a couple different places. It tells us, uh, not to become surety for others. Uh, do not be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge. One of those uh, who is surety for debts. Uh, and why is that? Because if you do, then you may lose everything yourself. And if you have a family to support, for example, then uh, that would be wrong to uh, to endanger putting them in danger of being in poverty simply because you were foolish enough to to sign to co-sign for someone and, and, and obligate every bit of financial resources that you have. Uh, this is not the better part of wisdom to do that. So, And yet Paul does it. Paul does it. First of all, Paul didn't have a family to care for. He was in prison. He had lost everything, so he had nothing to lose. Uh, and, uh, and he was willing to give it up if necessary for the sake of Onesimus. I don't think that Paul really... Uh, you know, plan to to pay for these debts. He didn't have the money to do so. Um, And I don't think Philemon would have required it of him. I think this is just simply a way for Paul to press home the earnestness of his desire for uh, Philemon to forgive not only the debts of sin, but any financial debts as well. Forgive our debts as, as, as we forgive others. This is what we're called to do. So this would have just been a rhetorical device, I think, uh, for Paul to, you know, to say, uh, please do this. Please do this. And um, though he's not commanding him, he is urging him to do it. I will repay, not to mention you owe me your own self. I won't mention it, but uh, you do owe me your own self because uh, he also came to know Christ through the preaching of uh, the gospel, through Paul's preaching. So... Uh, Philemon owed Paul an eternal debt. So this earthly debt uh, with Onesimus was much smaller uh, than what he owed to Paul. And and thirdly, in these verses, we see that Paul appeals uh, to Philemon to refresh him uh, and to give him joy in verse 20. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. And earlier in that letter, Philemon had, I mean, uh, Paul praised Philemon because it says you have refreshed the hearts of the saints. And so surely Paul's like, this is, this is who you are. You have refreshed the, the saints. You have some refreshment for me, I hope. 
and to make my joy complete as well. I realize that Paul was not asking this on behalf of himself. Again, the thing that made Paul the happiest was when other people were blessed. Most of our prayers, most of our private prayers, help me, Lord, help me. But I think that the more we move into praying for others, uh, being concerned for others, uh, that uh, we follow Paul here in, in, in making our greatest joy, seeing others uh, succeed, others be blessed by the Lord. And so if Philemon is going to carry out Paul's wishes, it's not Paul so much that's getting the benefit, but Onesimus. And that's what Paul rejoices in. Fourth, Paul has confidence, we see, in Philemon's obedience. Verse 21, he says, Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And I would say here, you know, that at least within the realm of the Christian church, the Christian fellowship, Paul expected the best out of others. I'm confident in you that you'll do the right thing. Um, And that's something that we need to probably uh, emulate, uh, this looking for and expecting the best out of others. He didn't doubt that Philemon would would, uh, grant his request. Again, when, when he says obedience... It's, it's kind of interesting because, he, again, he never issues a direct command. He doesn't use his apostolic authority. And yet the, imply, the implication is, well, to do the right thing is an act of obedience here, Philemon. It's a matter of duty. And he says, I know you'll do even more than I say. Now, this is where people, some people say you know, that he's hinting at uh, his Onesimus' emancipation. But at any rate, it kind of leaves it open, a little vague. And he says, you're going to do, I know you'll do more than just the minimum. You know, grudging obedience does the least it can get away with, right? Loving obedience always goes the second mile and does more uh, if possible. Lastly, in these verses, we see that Paul uh, indicates his plans to pay Philemon a visit in verse 22. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. So it's a rather subtle way of letting Philemon know I'm going to follow up on this, and I will be checking up on you. And we don't know if he ever made it back <clears throat> for a visit, but as Alexander McLaren put it, the expectation of meeting would tend to secure compliance with his request. You've probably heard that phrase, you know, uh, we, we should inspect what we expect of others. And, uh, and usually when people know that they're going to, there is going to be a follow-up, that, that is uh, a good thing. It's a good thing. Helps us to keep each other accountable. But I think Paul's visit here was going to be much more than just accountability checkup. It, it, it was going to be a, a blessed reunion of three brothers in Christ. Uh, Onesimus was going back with this letter, and hopefully there's the reconciliation between him and Philemon. And, and Paul has already had this fellowship with Onesimus, but then the, now the three of them together, if Paul visits them, are going to have this glorious time together of, of what God has done in their lives. And that's what we do when we fellowship with each other. We encourage each other by reminding one another what 
great things the Lord has done in our lives. And so I notice that Paul, as he says, I'm going to visit, he does the right thing. He says, I trust that through your prayers, uh, I will be granted to you. And that's what the way we need to be. And as James says, you know, don't boast about tomorrow, but say, if it's the Lord's will, uh, I'll do this or that. And so we live in dependence on God in prayer and acknowledging his will. But but as we reflect on this short letter of Philemon and the verses that I just read, uh, it's hard to miss this unmistakable parallel with the saving work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so the book of Philemon is really a, a beautiful picture, an analogy of the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus. So as we conclude, I want to make just a few Probably obvious comparisons, but hopefully will uh, help us to to appreciate what God has done. First of all, remember that you and I were just like Onesimus. We were rebellious slaves of sin. We were on the run from God. We too had robbed God. Uh, the Bible even tells us how do we rob God in tithes and offerings. That's one way. But we rob God of uh, of worship that we have owed Him. We haven't given it to Him. We rob Him of the obedience, the love, and the and the service that were due to Him as our as our God. And and we have amassed this great debt of sin that we could never ever repay. And yet we were created by God for His glory and. And what did we do? We sought our own glory as well. And what is, what is the world all about today? But everyone seeking his own glory. Everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. No one acknowledging God. This is who we were apart from Christ. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, the Bible says. So we went our own way in sin. We, we, we tried to run from God like Jonah did. And Jonah found out that you cannot run from God. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 139, uh, King David, uh, realized, he says, where can I flee? Where can I go from your presence? I cannot. And for our sinful rebellion, we deserve to be punished, just like Onesimus did, uh, because the wages of sin is death. And Philemon was well within his rights to punish his slave. And so God was within his rights. Indeed, according to his justice, he must punish our sin. But second, the Apostle Paul in this letter is like our Lord Jesus Christ in that he acted as a mediator between these two men, between Philemon and Onesimus. Onesimus found a friend in Paul, one who was willing to intercede for him, not only to lead him to Christ, but then to intercede uh, for him with his owner, his master. And, And so Paul, like Jesus, was a friend of sinners. You know, one of the things that they accused Jesus of in, in the Gospel of Luke, he says, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, he wasn't a glutton and he wasn't a wine-bibber, but he was a friend of sinners. He would own that title. Uh, Jesus also became a mediator. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 2, Beginning in verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So third, Jesus, as the second person of the Trinity, from eternity, 
like Paul and Philemon, they were partners. Well, Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit are eternal partners, if you will. They share in common their godness, their deity. Uh, and, and Jesus said in John 10.30, I and my Father are one. Jesus, uh, on our behalf, in effect, says to the Father, because of that, now accept and receive this sinner who has believed in me as you would me. And that's what Christ, that's what God the Father does. He, he accepts us uh, as he would accept his own son because we are in Christ. Ephesians 1.6 says he has made us accepted in the beloved. And then Jesus says to the Father, if he has wronged you, in effect, he's saying, if he has wronged you, put it on my account. Uh, I will be surety for the sinner who believes in me. And so when Christ died on the cross, he died as a sacrifice to pay that full penalty, that full debt of sin that you and I could not pay. The Bible says, for Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. And then the last bit of comparison I would make is that uh, Onesimus put his trust in Paul and in the letter that he wrote to his master Philemon. Uh, he knew that Philemon had a right to be angry, uh, but he was willing to trust that Paul's mediation on his behalf um, would bring about and his offer to pay the debt would bring about a reconciliation and forgiveness of the debts. And so God, too, has written us a letter. It's called the Bible. Uh, and it's a love letter. And all those who hear the words of this book, of this letter, and put their trust in Christ as mediator can be confident that the debt, your full debt of sin, has been paid. And we can be assured that the Father will receive us as his very own children, uh, to live forever in his eternal home. And so we trust, uh, based on God's word, that Christ paid that debt, completely taking our punishment. And we know that what God says in his word is true. Our sins are imputed to Christ. His righteousness by faith is imputed to our account. All these things we see mirrored in the book of Philemon. But what about you this morning? would ask you this question, are you running toward God or are you running away from Him? Isaiah 53.6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. You don't have to do much to, to run away from God. Just do your own thing run your, uh, and, and go your own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. What happens if you're willing to turn around and to come back to God. To turn from your sins unto God. If you wondered what God would do, will he condemn you? Or what? Isaiah 55, 7 says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he, God, will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. So what can you expect when you turn to God through Jesus Christ? You can expect that he will have mercy on you. That he will pardon. He will forgive all your sins. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter uh, how sinful you think you are. 
God knows that you're actually worse than you think you are. Uh, We all are. But he is willing to pardon and to have mercy. Are you aware, too, of that tremendous debt of sin that you have piled up before God? We can't imagine how much debt we owe to God because of our sins. Are you aware that it would take an eternity in hell and you could still never pay off your debt? Even if you were to suffer in hell. There is no purgatory where debts can be paid off after some time. It will take eternity. It will never end. The only other option is to put your trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, as your surety, as the one who pays your debt. Are you also aware of the fact that Christ ascended into heaven after he was raised from the dead and that he is preparing a place for you, for all who trust in him? Paul asked Philemon to prepare a guest room for him, but Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you who believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And finally, are you aware of this fact that Jesus has promised that he is coming back to take those who trust in him to that mansion that he's been preparing for them? He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. You see what he's saying is that that I'm preparing a place for you. And it's not just a place. It's the place where I'm going to be. And what will happen when we go to that place? You see, like Paul and Onesimus and Philemon, there will be this blessed reunion of faith. All who have ever gone before us who have died and left this world, if they trusted in Christ, when we die and leave this world, if we have trusted in Christ, we will have this, along with Christ himself, this wonderful, blessed uh, reunification and joy in his presence. What a day. What a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus... We'll sing and shout the victory. No more tears, nothing but joy if you come to Christ. And I would urge you to do that if you have not. Uh, I want us to bow for a moment of prayer, and then we're going to have uh, the observance of the Lord's Supper. Let us pray.